0: Welcome to the Swim is Cancelled Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Christina Roberts, owner of N Flight. Welcome to the Swim is Cancelled Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Roberts. This is episode seven. Before I tell you a little bit about my guest, I would like to talk to you about EnFlight is a company that I started last year in 2019 out of a personal desire to share the connection of mind-body with athletes. My primary mission is to support you, the athlete, with specialized programming that focuses on all the sweet stuff, recovery, prehab, and other mindfulness techniques that can help elevate endurance performance. Trust me, friends. My offerings include yoga programming, endurance coaching, both run and triathlon, as well as breath work. My contact information is in the show notes. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook. Check out the webpage. Drop me a line. All that good stuff. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to work with you. My next guest is Andrew Bernie Bernstein. He is a former editor of Bicycling Magazine, a former road and track cyclist, and currently a professional for an outdoor technology gaming communications strategy firm in Boulder, Colorado. Bernie was hit by a van on July 20th, 2019, while riding his bike home after a workout at a, at a local velodrome. Bernie's life changed on a dime. While we don't get into the specifics of the accident, the links are going to be in the show notes to his essay, two podcasts. We talked through his process of grieving, shifts in identity, empathy, and finding purpose. In hindsight, I certainly jumped right into the details of the discussion first. Gathering a little bit more information about his relocation with his fiance from Emmaus, Pennsylvania to Boulder, Colorado. I appreciate Bernie taking the time to speak with me, sharing his story. I hope that his vulnerability can help support his healing process. Bernie is very real, very patient, very thoughtful in his responses. I appreciate the time he took out of his busy days to sit down with me so that we could share this story with all of you.
1: Well, um, I moved out here for for my fiance. She, we met in Pennsylvania, but she had lived previously in um, in Boulder and, and also other parts of Colorado, and she loves it here and really wanted to return. Um so in 2018 we were able to kind of adjust our work circumstances to allow that to happen so we moved back yeah just just about two years ago
0: that's great
1: yeah back for her first time for me
0: and what are you doing now because you left rodale in 2018
1: uh it actually was hearst so
0: okay oh yeah, yeah. that's right
1: yeah so i um i survived there were tremendous layoffs when hearst acquired rodale and i survived and made the, made the transition, but there were a lot of changes, um, that kind of made working there less, uh, less enjoyable than it had been. Um, and I also been there eight years and I kind of felt like it was a good opportunity to, to move on. Um, so I, I now work for a marketing agency that services, um, bike industry brands and outdoor brands and tech brands. Um, we are based in Sausalito, California, but when they hired me, um, they were very excited for me to move to Boulder and open an office here because we have so many um there's so many connections to to the outdoors and the cycling here
0: yeah that's great yeah. uh it it honestly um broke my heart when Rodale just seemed to kind of collapse and um you know the community members and, and friends were being, you know, displaced and
1: yeah, it was just, pretty awful.
0: Yeah. It, it's <laughs> such a, a terrible situation because I, I, from an, as an outsider, I know that, um, you know, the, the Rodale family themselves have uh, done a lot for the community, but, um, it's just, yeah. it's you
1: amazing. know, it's a 60 year yeah. history of, of being a major employer in in Emmaus and the Valley and, um, It was very sad. And it was the worst part of it was that um, there are laws in both Pennsylvania and New York. When you when you lay off a certain percentage of the company of a company in an acquisition scenario, you're obligated to um compensate everybody for uh in Pennsylvania it's two months, in New York it's three months. And when the acquisition happened, the number the percentage of the layoff was such that that triggered that was triggered in both states. Um and the decision was that, you know, if people were going to be getting paid, they might as well be coming to work and doing something. <sighs> so there were all these people coming to work who um, knew that they had lost their job, um, but still had to come into the office every day. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a crappy situation.
1: It was terrible. Um, and yeah, it was, it was terrible. Now, all that being said, um, it seems like it was probably a very good thing for the Rodale brands um you know men 's health women 's health prevention bicycling runners world are like now thriving under their new ownership and yeah. the people who who made the transition and stuck it out through that inner, you know the really difficult period in the middle seem to be doing great um, so uh you know i i i didn't have what whatever was needed to tough it out, but it seems like those who did um have come out the other end in their you know, they're working at home now but they're excited to have headquarters in Easton and uh, yeah
0: well and, it, and that's an interesting point you you might not believe it at least at this point in your life but um, it, at some point mm-hmm. you look back and everything does happen for a reason so there were um, opportunities for other people to to grow and push through and others to move on and and find something different and you know everybody has their purpose it just takes time to for that to really um, unfold I, yes. I I chuckled when I listened to you make a comment about drinking with, um, your, your friends, uh, about that's really all, <laughs> that's really all that you can do in, you know, Emmaus, Pennsylvania. And I, you know, I felt the same way growing up in the area. Like, what do you do? You drive around and you hang out in people's basements and backyards and you you drink and maybe you go bowling. Uh, but that's about it. But, you know, now that I am am still here, I, I left for a little bit, and, and I'm still here. There is an incredible amount of things to do. We just really needed to mature and and open our eyes. Like you talked about the velodrome and um, and T town, and I have to say, I've been there, you know, a couple of times on Friday nights. You know, the energy is just frigging electric, and yeah, uh, it's such a great um, community type of um, environment that actually goes beyond the community. I had, I had no idea, you know, back then that this was, you know, a a, a mecca of sorts for for international racing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I should say that the comment I made about like there being nothing to do but drink was was mostly tongue in cheek. Um, totally fair. Also definitely a function of, you know, I was like 25 when that occurred. So <laughs> it was a different phase of my life when I was more receptive to just drinking all the time.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um,
1: um, but when I think about the Valley now, I think like cycling is what made it for me. I loved, I love the cycling community there. I So love it. Um, and T town is very much like one of the focal points. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was what you just described is totally accurate that I remember the first time I, I got to go watch racing, um, the, you know, the whenever opening night in 2011, I guess. And it was, yeah, it was so cool. I'd never seen, um, cycling presented in that kind of a format and you know as a fan of the tour de france and as a amateur bike racer myself like i had never conceived of an environment where like bike racing could be a stadium sport um and not just in concept but like in reality and also like um not just for cyclists but also for non-cyclists who just like to go because it's fun to watch um so that was yeah it was such a cool thing to see um back then and yeah definitely like seeing it inspired me to participate um and it became it became a huge focal point of my life for uh for a long time
0: yeah i mean that's a big chunk of your identity um mm-hmm. that continued to to really narrow so you went from i i guess um if i follow correctly some road racing and uh mountain biking
1: yeah not i am uh, very I'm not a very good mountain biker. I uh, certainly <laughs> do ride mountain bikes occasionally, but, uh, I was, I was a pretty serious amateur road racer when I moved to Pennsylvania. Um, and, uh, had some pretty good results in new England where I was living previously. And, um, yeah, I saw the velodrome and figured I, I should try it. And then, uh, it turned out that I was, yeah, a much better track racer than I ever had been road racer. And, um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny it's the because the sport is dependent on a facility. You can only really get into it if you live near one.
0: Yeah, um, sure.
1: So I was fortunate. Um, I was fortunate to have, have the opportunity to try it.
0: Yeah. I think that's, um, that's pretty cool. And I know they do. And um, Chris was talking about, um, you know, from, from Lexus Velodrome about, you know, some kids programs and really mm-hmm. investing in, um, you know, the the little ones to, to get them interested in, in that level of sport and and that type of um, competition, whether for fun or, or more of a a professional track and, um, being able to or just
1: for health, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's so funny because, um, those are, and I will, I guess we'll, we'll get to this. Those are some of the things that you almost take for granted when you're, when you're in the, when you're in the sport, whatever your sport is, um, you know, you're, primary driver or some of your primary drivers might be, I want to lose weight. I want to get healthier. You know, I want to, you know, kick my blood pressure medications, whatever, whatever it is. And then your motivations start to change. Once you check off those other boxes, Oh, I lost the weight. I'm off the meds. I actually really enjoy this. I'm not doing it because I have to, I'm doing it because I want to. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I'm sure you saw, you know, that shift early on, but um, you know, your now your identity has has shifted a bit and you know can you talk a little bit about about that it it literally changed for you on a dime
1: yeah well you know i i um, in some ways i was like oh prepared for this transition um because you know I, so i was you know an amateur bike racer from 2004 until 2009 19 um so, you know, a lot of years and I achieved, um, you know, it was category two in the road and, uh, UCI elite category one on the track. Uh, so I had the opportunity to do lots and lots of high end racing, uh, both road and on the velodrome. And I, last year I was, you know, racing age 35 and like, um, kind of coming to the point where it was no longer, it no longer felt like a good use of my time to be training 16, 17, 18 hours a week. Um, and it's hard when you've spent so much time doing something and it really like was such a central part of my identity. It's hard to, to think about stepping away. Uh, but I was starting to like, think about that and to think about like, could I continue racing in a more casual way where I could train 10 hours a week and like, which is still like a lot of time. And, you know, I think there's probably not many Americans who spend 10 hours a week on their physical fitness. Um but you know, to like be uh, an elite racer, that would be unheard of. Um, So I was like starting to think about that. I was starting to have those conversations and starting to realize that like, um, also that I kind of like reached the limit of my talent. Um, I went in last June of last year, I went back to Pennsylvania to race Deep Town uh, because there there was like a three week block where you could do like seven UCI C1 races or something. So it was like, it was, you know, for me, it was like an opportunity to visit friends and race at t and then also like get in this very, um, compressed block of racing at a high level. Um, and just, you know, for your listeners who don't know, like a UCI C1 is like, it is the highest level of, uh, it's the highest level of, of I guess what I would consider like an open race where like, where you don't have to qualify to race, sure. okay. um, the next level up would be a world cup. Um, and you know, to, to race a world cup, you have to like be selected to your country's team by the national federation. Okay. Um, so you know, very high level of racing. Um, and I was out there doing it and there were all these young kids, <laughs> <that> were, like <laughs> literal, like 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds, um, who were very fucking fast. And, and I, kind I had this moment. I was like, man, I'm too old for this shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Right. Uh, I'm getting my ass handed to me.
1: Right. And, you know, there's no amount of training that can, you know, overcome um, the reality of age. And like, I'm not someone who has a lot of physical gifts. I'm someone who works very hard and is dedicated. Um, And through my dedication, I've reached a high level, but um, yeah, but at a certain point, the time doesn't compensate uh, for, for the physical realities. Um, So that was a very long winded, introduction to my answer but um I to get back it. to your question <laughs> um i would say that i'm now in the process of trying to figure out who i am um you know for the last year my primary identity has been physical therapy patient um you know i go to physical therapy like uh six or seven times a week um for various for various kinds of treatments and um it is a lot. Um, and it's, and then you also have to do a home program, which, you know, I think in total, I'm probably spending as much or maybe even more time exercising than I was when I was racing.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. What you focus on in your appointment is not just a, I'm checking the box and I'm done. Like you've got more yeah. shit to do. Yeah. That's
1: right. Yeah. Um, but like physical therapy patient is pretty lame identity and, you know, not that much fun. So, you know, I'm trying to like, I'm very much in the process of trying to figure out like, how can cycling be a part of my life? What else can I do? Um, and, you know, like, what what do I enjoy? Um, and, you know, who can I do it with? Because, you know, it's another thing, is like a lot of my friends uh, were and are cyclists and, you know, they're still wanting to go out for a big rides on Saturdays and like, and Sundays, and that's not something I can participate in. Uh, so, you know, it's like finding, New ways to socialize and and new people to socialize with and it's it's been a very major um, shift for me over the last year and I definitely uh, expect it to to continue to be an ongoing process
0: how thank you for sharing all of that um e- how are you trying to find you know your way through this is there you know do you have some sort of you know a, a a a journaling process are you in um, some sort of therapy that is more focused on mental as opposed to physical Mm
1: -hmm. which
0: again is you know adding more time to you know the amount of hours in your day that doesn't change
1: yeah um i do see a therapist um and we talk about these kinds of issues along with other other topics um and I, um, for me, it's, it's kind of just like a, a process of like thinking about what I might want to do and then thinking about like how, how I might need to adapt it. And then how do I, um, you know, how do I like put the pieces in place? Kind of, um, I would say I'm very much still working on, on cycling. Uh, like, you know, when I started riding a bike again, it was, uh, well, when I started running a bike outdoors, I got started riding this cargo bike. It was, you know, heavy, yes. but it had some it had some advantages. And then more more recently, I've kind of switched over to my mountain bike, which is um, much more fun to ride. Uh, just and I've been riding on paved surfaces and like gravel and that kind of stuff. I've not like gone mountain biking.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, but just the fact that the bike is so much lighter than the cargo bike makes it great. And then the dropper post helps for getting on and off. Um, but it's been a challenge to figure out like the right. Um, the right way to retain my foot on the pedal because my left foot um, just kind of like the rest of the leg kind of just turns it different ways and it's it sort of it's sort of just a, an appendage at the bottom of my leg um so yeah so it's taken some time to figure out um the right solution i think i have right now i'm riding i have road pedals like shimano spd pedals on the on that bike sure and Uh, and that seems to be working for the time being. Um, so I'm going to probably keep riding with that setup for a while. And then the next progression will be to see if I can get on a drop bar bike. Um, and I hope to purchase an e-bike pretty soon, uh, you know, maybe early this fall. And like the big question for me, because e-bikes of course are expensive. The big question for me is like, will it be a drop bar e-bike of some kind, or will it be more of a flat bar e-bike? And uh, I, I kind of do want to try to figure that out before I commit to a purchase because they're expensive.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it, it's so interesting because I, I get the sense that you're an extremely patient person, yet one that can't really sit still. Um, like, I, I feel like you're, you're almost battling with yourself. Like you just, um, you know, in your mind, like, I appreciate how you were talking about, um, goal setting with Chris, um, in your interview and how you have, you know, this big goal, like one of them being, you want to go out for longer rides on a Saturday and like put in some miles instead of, you know. Um, you know, going out for the sake of, you know, getting through, you know, a physical process and then, you know, putting the bike away. Right. Um, And then you finding those little mini process goals along the way. Um, I, I know from, you know, my perspective of, you know, training for endurance races, sometimes you just want to get out there and hit that big goal. You don't want to go through all the hoops of the process goals and the checking the boxes and the, you know, going back to the drawing board because X, Y, Z didn't work for you or, or what have Mm -hmm. you. So, um, I, you know, I, I think it takes an incredible amount of patience, but, um, I'm sure you like the rest of us lose it from time to time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I get like, I get frustrated that the progress is slower than I would like it to be sometimes. Yeah. Um, But I, you know, I do feel like this, um, this is a process and, you know, it's kind of, it's a lifelong process. And, you know, I had the opportunity to speak with other spinal cord uh, survivors, spinal cord injury survivors. um, And that's kind of the common theme for the folks who've been living with this uh, injury longer is that it's, it's kind of a constant process of reevaluation. Yeah. Um, And yeah. And you have to think you have to think um, how things can regress because as you get older, things do regress, and you know like I'm fairly fortunate that i I incurred this injury at you know thirty four years old and um, I'm you know maybe not quite at my physical peak, but I'm relatively close to it um, so I had the opportunity to like rehabilitate myself as much as possible while I'm still young and it's still relatively easy to develop muscle and um those kinds of things. But then, you know, looking 15, 20 years out, like chances are my leg will, will become weaker quicker than it would naturally. Right. Um, so, you know, that's something you have to prepare for. You have to prepare like what you'll need in terms of assistance. Not that I have to prepare it tomorrow, but it's something that you have to like kind of sure. always have in the back of your mind. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's been good to it's yeah, it definitely has been good for me to think about, um, goals and, uh, and the process of getting to them. And I, I don't feel particularly rushed, um, for things like buying an e-bike. Like I feel like it, I'll do it when the, when I'm able and when the time is right. Um, I feel more rushed about, um, just trying to develop as much strength in my legs as, as I can. Um, there's, with spinal cord injuries, you, you tend to get well, the common wisdom is that you get most of your recovery in the first two years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm halfway through that and um, I really want to keep um, pushing as hard as I can. I-, I will keep pushing as hard as I can until, until I plateau. Um, but certainly for the next year I have, um, I'd like to keep, I'd like to keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really incredible. Um, I, it's just and i also think that um and you you know you've mentioned this before um on on social media for sure about you know the people uh who are are surrounding you it's you know your your family and your fiance and your providers and um it it takes a lot of effort for people to you know create and maintain a positive environment and um, you know that certainly helps, um, influence your, your progress. I'm sure. Um, if, you know, if, if those providers came in and said, Hey pal, I mean, sorry, this isn't going to work out. Um, you know, obviously a completely different outlook on, on your perspective for, for sure. Even though I, I, I can't, I can't empathize with you, but I'm sure there's some, you know, really (laughs) fucking dark ass times. Um, and trying to find purpose in that is, um, absolutely a, a challenge i i can't even imagine that
1: yeah yeah it's tough
0: you wrote um <laughs> a really compelling essay in outside magazine that i read um actually a couple of times and i just read before um you hop back you hopped on so i'm you know a little thankful that you were you were late i just re re perused <laughs> it and you know did you, were you personally motivated to do that? Did, did a, a group of people encourage you to say, I think this is going to be really therapeutic for you, you know, get this out there, you know, maybe you help prevent, um, you know, a and, a unfortunate situation or, you know, what, what was your thought process behind that? And, and what, what helped actually get you to put pen to paper?
1: Um, well, I, I definitely, you know, I, I used to be a writer, um, I used to be a professional writer, I guess I am still a writer. Um, and I always kind of thought, you know, from the, from the time that I was able to start, um, thinking about, you know, what, what was next for me? Um, I always thought that I would tell this story. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity with outside, um, kind of presented itself and it seemed like a good time. It seemed like a good opportunity to start the process. Um, and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to go on a couple of podcasts, including this one, um, to continue to tell the story. And I think for me, um, there are a few aspects of my story that I think can be helpful. Um, and I, I definitely like, I'm looking for opportunities to tell the story, um, to those, to those ends. Um, I definitely want to talk about, um, uh, the importance of being safe behind the wheel. Um, there's so much dangerous driving, uh, everywhere. And the consequences of dangerous driving are, you know, maiming someone in the way that I've been maimed or killing someone. Um, and it's not something that we really take seriously in this country. Um, you're right. You know, you know, you get, you can murder someone with your car and get off with a, you know, a minor traffic violation. Um, and I think, you know, it's a cultural problem of course, and a societal problem, but like, I, I would like to do whatever small things I can do to um, to decrease the incidence of these things happening. Um, I also think it's important when I have the opportunity to talk about the experience of being hospitalized with a serious injury. Um, especially now, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, know people or have loved ones who've been hospitalized with COVID and um, the the reality of living on a ventilator is fucking terrible. Like I, I, you know, I have, I still have like flashbacks to, to being intubated and, and to having a tracheostomy and, you know, the times that they would you know, say like, okay, like we're going to give you less oxygen or we're going to give you less support and like feeling like I was going to suffocate in this room full of air.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then you know, of course, like when you're when you're first on that kind of support, you're um, you're also medicated pretty heavily, and you know, you when you have a tube in your throat uh, when you're intubated, it can feel like you're choking, and you've you know, you can't cough and you can't um, you know clear clear your own airway, um, and I don't remember this, fortunately, but you know my family would tell me stories about how like I would want to cough and I couldn't because there's a tube in your, in your neck. And, um, and you know, it, you know, my fiance described like seeing this like look of terror in my eyes. Like I thought I was about to suffocate. Um, and then, you know, a, a medical provider at CNA or a nurse or a respiratory technician would have to come in and clear phlegm for my, for my, uh, esophagus. And, um, and, it's it's just it's such a traumatic experience. Uh and you know the trauma is lived by the patient but also by the people around them. Um and, and it's it's something that uh most people will never have to experience, fortunately. Um and I think that if people understood better what that is like, it may make us more interested in helping others stay out of the hospital.
0: <laughs> uh, I yeah, agree. agreed. Um
1: you know, I think You know, there's a meme going around Facebook that's like, you know, like, boy, if you don't like wearing a mask, you're really not gonna like a respirator. Like, that's true. It's very true. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I, you know, I don't think people really understand what it's like. And then, you know, beyond just that, you know, people get hospitalized for illness and injury every day. And it's, being in the hospital is terrible. It's terrible again on the patient, it's terrible on the family. Uh, And in this country, like, we don't really. We don't do a good job of taking care of a lot of people. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have great insurance through my through my work, um, but I can tell you I've like recently been talking to another spinal cord survivor, spinal cord injury survivor who um, who didn't have insurance, and because he had like recently moved to a new state and didn't have proof of residency, he's having a very hard time getting on Medicaid, um, and as a result, his um, his future is uncertain. You know, he doesn't, he's not in a situation where like I am, where I can go to physical therapy seven times a week and have someone else pay for it. Um, and it's very distressing to me to think about like the fact that we as a country haven't agreed on the fact that we should just take care of each other. Like we, we were okay letting some people fall through the cracks and, you know, end up becoming homeless with a fresh spinal cord injury. Yeah. Um,
0: I think um, what I'm hearing you say, like the word is, is, is empathy. And I I think that um, because, and this is my own opinion. I mean, you can tell me to, uh, that you agree or not, but I think we've been um, programmed in such a way um, with all of our technologies that um, we have lost the ability to interact with, People on that human level, um, we we don't um, you know we we don't touch people. There's no and you know COVID makes it more challenging, of course. But you know there's there's no human touch, and we can't look each other in the eye. Uh, we're we're constantly glancing at our phone, our technology. There's you know bells and whistles. We don't know how to um, listen first. And and listen without um judgment and or listen uh without interrupting to solution jump or fix something and that you know just really fractures um relationships and I I think that um when it comes to hearing other people's stories, there is so much power in that person taking the time um, that it, I think it can change people, um, but we are 100% lacking uh, empathy. People don't know what that means.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think another problem that we have, um, in general, in this culture, in this society, is that we don't um, we don't let people have the space to grieve um, enough, and we don't really understand the grieving process. And I, you know, I think this this applies to a lot of situations, whether it's, you know, the loss of a loved one or a, you a know, major injury or, you know, in a, a reaction to trauma. Um, there's a lot of um, toxic positivity in our culture. Um, and that's, it's not helpful. It's not, it's not helpful to someone who's suffering. Um, you know, I think we need to have, it needs to be okay to be not okay. Um, and I think, you know, we, we should be better at supporting and I'm not speaking to like my particular community, but I think like in general, I think we can do a better job of, of giving people the space to be sad or the space to, um, you know, be angry and, um, understand that like the grief stages kind of come and go, uh, in random and unpredictable orders. And that has to be, it has to be okay to just accept that.
0: Uh, yeah there there's no i i completely agree with that there's no time frame on oh this is your grief stage here and then actually tomorrow you're transitioning to and it's right. it's very progressive it's just uh you know forward moving um and and people also have you know giving them space there there's different ways that that people cope and um i try to believe that everybody is doing their best um with what they have and mm-hmm we need to, you know, support that. And it, it's not, um, it's not bad to be vulnerable. Vulnerable is not a bad word.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. Um, but then, yeah, you see, you see examples of people who get punished for being vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, And that's, um, it's fortunate that that's not my case, but, um, but it's it's not it's not a great it's not a great behavior.
0: <laughs> no, i I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks for all that. Sure. So um, I, I just wanted to to touch on this. Um, you mentioned that um, you can't keep your tense straight anymore. So in one sentence or in one paragraph, you said, I like to ride bikes. And then it's, I used to like to ride bikes. Um,
1: Well, it's not so much that I can't keep tenses straight anymore. It's that I was trying to express um, uh, uncertainty about whether I still was going to like it. Okay, Um, And you know, I I know you're referring to the outside essay. You should should keep in mind that uh, I wrote that before I was riding bikes again. Um, so you know things Fair are
0: enough. true.
1: Things are different now. Um, I think I can say definitively that I do like riding bikes still, um, but I I also recognize that you know bikes are um, different now than they used to be. Um, so you know it, it is. It's a little bit of a time slippage issue. It's not. Um, it's. I used to race bikes. Now I'm. A more casual cyclist, shall we say?
0: Yeah, you just have a different relationship and um mm-hmm. you know, relationships kind of ebb and flow and they progress in different ways. So yeah, no, right. I, I think that's pretty cool. Um how so how has your um I guess you're wearing, you're wearing a different hat in a way. So you're, you're now in a, in a different position. And, you know, you mentioned, um, I think it was on, on social media. You went, um, you were in a kayak Mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, the pictures were gorgeous and you, um, noticed that, um, you know, getting into a kayak off, off the ramp was not kind of an easy feat. Um, but now you're, you're seeing that through a different lens. Um, you're, accessing the water in a, in a different way. Um, are there other things that you're now, I mean, I'm sure you, you, you certainly are, but I want to hear it from you, um, cognizant of in terms of your environment, um, getting around, um, being supported within the, the community. Um, what, what does that look like now?
1: Um, Well, you know, so I, I think you're, you're asking a couple of questions. Uh, So You're you're asking about activities and then you're also asking about community, right? Yeah,
0: I am. Yeah.
1: Um, so, you know, activity wise, like, uh, you know, I've been walking a lot, um, and you know, sometimes on sidewalks, sometimes on trails. And, uh, that's been, that's been very good therapy wise, but it's also been good, um, uh, sort of, well, yeah, physically, it's been physically and also emotionally. Um, and that's, you know, being able to walk effectively is like a very high priority for me. I want to like get faster at walking. I also want to be able to walk longer distances. Um, so that's, um, that's something that I am able to work on all the time and, you know, and without a lot of, um, adaptation. Um, or help. Um you know, going kayaking was a lot of fun. Um, but it's it would have been hard to do on my own. Um so, you know, that's it's it's a more challenging thing. It's also um yeah, it, you know, it requires it requires a vessel. So it's not gonna be, I don't think kayaking will be like an everyday thing for me, but it was it was nice to be able to do a different activity. Um I'm not sure like what else is next. I, I would like to try to ski again. Um I was a casual skier before and um given my current level of function, I, I would guess that um I would guess certainly by next ski season I'd be able to start to get to get back to skiing using some kind of adaptive equipment. Um well. uh, I don't know I don't know that I'll feel ready to do to try this season. Um I also don't really think it's gonna be safe to ski this season. Um oh yeah right um so that's yeah that's something that's something else I'm looking forward to um beyond that i'm not i'm not sure like my my most my most immediate goals are are other than being a more competent walker is just to focus on uh being a more competent person around the house and like you know being able to take out the trash more easily and um lifting heavy things and and um those kinds of tasks that we all have to do every day um, that are, that are physical challenges for me. Um, and yeah, my major, like my major physical therapy goal is to develop my hamstring strength. My hamstring is extremely weak. Um, if I could get it strong enough, then I would require like a significantly less amount of bracing, uh, which would be really would be nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and then as far as community, like it's been really helpful to me to connect with other people who are spinal cord injury survivors and people who are, um, survivors of other kinds of traumas. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to have friends who can really relate to, to what you've been through. Um, so that's been, that's been a nice, uh, change in my life over the last, uh, yeah, over the last, especially over the last like four or five months, um, it's just, Really like strengthening up the relationships I have with people who I met in the hospital, or people I met through the you know the the community, the spinal cord injury community, um, and then also just like finding ways to socialize with with cycling friends who I can't ride with. Um, yeah.
0: Do you, um, I, I'm sure I won't pronounce his last name correctly, but do you still connect um, with Tim Gilatch?
1: yes uh and you did pronounce it correctly yes um (laughs) we uh we hadn't seen tim for we you know during quarantine we we were pretty serious about our distance and so was he him and his family so we didn't see him for a while but um we actually had dinner with him uh just a few weeks ago which was nice
0: that is Uh, really cool
1: yeah you know he's such a he's an extremely compassionate person and he's he's given me some advice that i have taken to heart about um uh, about forgiveness and about, um, uh, focusing on the, the things that are in your control.
0: Um, Yeah. Those, mm -hmm. yeah, but, uh, it's so hard to do. (laughs) Yes, it is hard to do. Forgiveness is a, a big, big, um, big thing to, to overcome. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty huge
1: yeah um I agree
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, I'm not looking for anything more than yeah that's about it um i I thought it was pretty um awesome that he he circled three times before right. like to make sure is that did I really see somebody on the side of the road? I think that's yeah. that that gave me chills when i um when I saw that that's yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, Tim, um, Tim was hit by a car also just, uh, you know, about 10 weeks before, before he found me. And, um, you know, I think that heightened, it heightened his sense of accountability behind the wheel. I think because of that, he maybe was paying a little bit more attention than he might've been prior to his own crash. Um, and you know, he's also an extremely empathetic and caring person. I think once he had a sense that maybe someone needed help, um uh, i haven't asked him this question directly but i like i think it would have been hard for him to not intervene um uh Tim is a a, a religious man he, like he believes that you know god helped him find me um or that you know a greater being helped him find me and um i am not a religious person but you know what if uh, if i had that kind of help i i will I will definitely take it because we figured out that I was laying on the side of the road for about 40 minutes. And it's a fairly busy road. So in that time there must've been a lot of cars that went past and, um, and only one stopped. So I feel, I feel extremely fortunate, um, that Tim was paying attention.
0: Yeah. Um, how are you driving? Do you drive?
1: I drive. Yep. Yeah. I'm fortunate that my, um, my left leg is partially paralyzed, but my right, my right leg is unaffected. Um, so I'm able to drive, uh, you know, regular automatic transmission without, inc- without incident.
0: Yeah. And yeah. how, uh, had you changed your driving habits as well?
1: Yes. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that I've changed it, you know, I was already a pretty conscientious person when it came to like looking at my phone behind the wheel, but, um, I'm, much, 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 much more strict about that now. But the biggest thing that I've changed is slowing down. Um I think that another problem with driving in this country is that we tend to take the speed limit as like a suggestion and then we drive like 10, 15 miles an hour over. Yep. Um and so I've I've kind of decided I'm gonna drive the limit and you know maybe not if I'm on a big highway, okay, maybe I'll go a little faster then. Um, but if a street here in Boulder is posted at twenty, I'm going to drive twenty, and I don't really see any reason why anybody should drive faster than that. Um, people take it as like their right to drive whatever speed they want to drive, and they, you know, they see like a, we recently lowered our speed limits from twenty-five to twenty on a lot of residential roads, and people saw it as like an, a, an assault on uh, their right and on their time, and it's you know it's ridiculous because just residential roads, like you're going to drive that road for, <laughs> right. you know, half a mile, maybe probably less. And then you're going to get out onto another road where the speed limit is going to be higher and faster. Um, but the the safety increase in going down to a 20 mile an hour speed limit is very significant. It gives you more time to see, uh, observe and react. Um, and if you're in an environment where there's probably kids riding bikes and playing basketball and running around, Um, we as drivers have the absolute responsibility to protect all those people. Um, And we demonstrated by murdering hundreds of thousands of Americans with our cars that we are not capable of taking that responsibility seriously. Uh, And therefore, it absolutely is the government's responsibility to help us take it seriously with lower speed limits.
0: You're not going to get anywhere any faster if you're going... um, even five miles an hour over the speed limit, you know, five, 10, even 15, you're not going to get anywhere that much faster. Um, Especially
1: over a short distance, you know, I think for sure, you know, you you could make maybe, maybe, maybe make the argument if you're driving cross country, but short of that, no.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, do you participate in any sort of um, (sighs) lobbying or governmental, you know, um, change? Are you kind of going down that track?
1: uh i haven't yet really um i don't really have time to take on anything else right now <laughs> no, I, um i hear that but i i do hope uh I, I do hope to kind of find my way in advocacy um I, I don't know that i want to make it my entire life but i certainly want to contribute um i'm also kind of dissatisfied with a lot of the advocacy efforts um that happen right you now. i think there's a lot of bike advocacy that just speaks to cyclists uh, and you know, like there can be great energy in like getting cyclists excited about advocacy and getting cyclists uh, behind initiatives. Um, but that doesn't actually help that much. Like what we need to do is speak to drivers. Um, you know, I think like Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR driver does like a surprisingly good job of this. He's a cyclist and yeah. as are a lot of people in NASCAR. And, um, you know, he he definitely does what he can to spread the message. But um, you know, my vision for advocacy would be something like partnering with NASCAR and like having them make it a part of their messaging, not just on Jimmy Johnson's Instagram, but on like their own leagues' uh, marketing uh, and encouraging their fans to drive safely and and those kinds of things. And you know, making you know having driver safety tables like car dealerships and you know getting getting people actually in the dealership talking to people when they're buying cars about how like hey like this suv you're driving has a hood height of three and a half feet which means that you can't see anything into you know 25 feet in front of your truck so like keep that in mind those kinds of things um and you know obviously people are not looking for these messages they don't really want to hear them i think they're extremely important and so you know when I do start to have more time, like I, those are the kinds of things that I want to um, invest invest my efforts in is speaking to drivers um, and yeah, I'm not quite sure what the right way to do that is um, and there may also be things that I want to advocate for on the legal side you know i in Colorado, I learned um, there's no legal mechanism to you know if someone's convicted of a felony related to driving a motor vehicle um, there's no real way to suspend their license or take away their license. Um, unless I think, I think there's an exception for D, for certain type of DWI. Um, so, you know, if, if it were to happen, where the police caught the guy who hit me, the, you know, the man or woman who hit me um, that person, you know, could be, you know, they, they could potentially face, I don't, you know, I don't know what the plan is, if there is a plan, but they could potentially face a felony level charge, but the punishment, um, even if it included jail time would not include any uh, restriction on their right to drive a vehicle again.
0: Yeah. Which kind of sounds ass backwards to me.
1: Yes. To me too. So like, you know, that, that might be an issue that I would want to tackle is like, how, how can this be that we don't, um, have a punishment that fits the crime.
0: Right. Sure. And an appropriate consequence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So yeah. So anyway, I haven't done any work around either of those things yet, but those are, those are things that I think about and things I'd like to help with when, when time's right. Um, And you know, they're, like I said, they're, they're, it's hard to speak to drivers. It's hard to, it's hard to find the right message and to get people's attention and to communicate effectively. Uh, without them feeling like they're being attacked, but to feel like they're like you're helping. Um, and it does kind of come back to the topic that we were talking about earlier of empathy is like, how do you convince someone to be an empathetic driver? Right. Um, and I, I don't claim to have the answer to that, but that's my goal.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, uh in in a lot of you know situations you know if, if you take covid as an example a, a lot of people didn't feel like and still don't that um this is a very real thing um and you know to your point earlier about um being intubated uh that's a that's a big fucking deal and um unless you know somebody um have been directly impacted you don't see that it's an out of sight out of mind um, so right. if you don't know Um, someone who's been, you know, hit by a car has, you know, hit an individual, been in some sort of motor vehicle accident. You might not have, um, you know, that, you know, natural curiosity to, you know, learn a little bit more and, and educate yourself. Um, you almost need to, um, in the best way possible, spoon feed, um, the information and, and make it, um, and make it taste good so that they can, um, you know, just be engaged, yeah yeah
1: yeah that's right and then but there's a lot to overcome there's a lot of barriers and you know and the, you know, outside when I shared my story on their instagram there were you know lots and lots of comments from people who hate cyclists like people saying like i don't care like if they're in my way i'll hit them i'll kill them i don't care and like that's um a terrible thing to say about another person um you know another person who just like recreates differently than you recreate um but that is that is a pervasive attitude in this country for sure. Um, yeah. And I, I, I don't think there's like a, you know, a vaccine. Um, I think it's you know it's more yeah, like you said, you have to spoon feed, you have to like slowly convince people over time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen it here firsthand, and I'm a I. <laughs> Truth be told, I'm not a great um, road cyclist. I enjoy my trainer. Um, I will only take my bike out for the most part if a I'm with people, and b if I'm um, if I'm doing a triathlon. That's about mm-hmm. it. I love my trainer, um, but when I'm on the road, I've definitely had you know assholes beeping, tailing. Swerving around blowing by and it's it's it is absolutely terrifying and yeah, it's um, very scary. There's no in, in those scenarios. You know, I'm I'm riding with fear and on the flip side, those um, those drivers are 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 terrorizing.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think I think there's a lot of people who um, prefer to ride indoors um, for the same reason you just described that that's I think a, a big part of why Zwift has become so popular.
0: I uh, love Swift. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's fun and it's engaging and it's safe yeah. and it's you know convenient. You don't have to worry about a flat tire and like. And there's lots of reasons uh, why that's popular, but I think safety is is a big big one. Um, you know, especially if you don't live in a place where there, you know, at least if you do want to ride outside, at least you can get onto quiet roads in the country pretty easily. Yep. Um, not everybody has that luxury, and I think of people who live in New York City or people who live in other major major metros. Um, And, you know, certainly like building bike infrastructure is, uh, should be, should be something that everybody supports, you know, cyclists should want it, it keeps us safer, cars should want it because it keeps them away from bikes that they don't want to interact with. Um, And yet it's like this lightning rod issue that people don't want it, don't want to spend money on it, don't think it's worthy. Um, And it's, you know, to me, that's all part of this, like, uh, very poisonous car culture we have in this country.
0: Yeah um i I know how it feels to to bomb down a hill on my bike without uh worrying about you know my my surroundings i e cars um or you know pick up a lot of great speed and look and see you know the the cows that are you know to my right in um you know in the um Kutztown area mm-hmm. so I know what that feels for me and it, it's very liberating and that brings me joy. And there's a sense of, um, you know, quiet, quiet peace and all of that. When you had raced, what was that? How did that feel to you? What was that, um, emotion?
1: Um, well, <laughs> and we could probably spend an hour just talking about the emotions of bike racing, but, um, <laughs> there's, Um, you know, I like, I think about the highs and lows of bike racing. Like, you know, I went to nationals last summer, elite nationals in California. And like, I kind of decided on a whim to go, like it hadn't really been a season long goal. I wouldn't say I was like in top form for it, but, um, but I had such a good time at T-Town and a lot of the people from T-Town were going to be there. And I have other friends in LA Um, and you know, it's a relatively inexpensive trip to LA from Colorado. And so I figured, fuck it, I would, you know, give it a shot. And, um, even though I intellectually understood that, like, I hadn't prepared for this race and I was, um, unlikely to to do well, it's, you know, when I didn't do well, I was still upset. And, um, and, you know, at nationals, there were enough athletes there, you know, in track racing, there's a limit to the field size because you can only fit so many cyclists on the track at once. Right. So uh, we had qualifiers for all the events and I like didn't qualify for my first two events. And I was like, fuck, like I came all the way to California to not do the race, uh, to like not qualify.
0: That sucks. It was a
1: pretty bad feeling. Um, and, and then, you know, on the third day or the fourth day of nationals, I qualified for my last race. And it was like elation. It was like, oh, thank God. Like I proved to myself and everyone that I can be, a, that I belong here, that I can be part of this race, that I can line up and, and compete for a national title, same as anyone else. Um, and yeah, it was like a real, it was a real sense of accomplishment in that moment. And um, feeling of like accomplishment and belonging and relief um, and excitement, um, juxtaposed with you know the previous days where I felt like, defeated and frustrated and um inadequate um so yeah there's there were a lot of a lot of feelings but I also you know i guess i think primarily about a lot of um yeah you're describing the rush like there's definitely a rush in racing especially like as i progressed and got better at it and you know it was like my my like athletic peak was probably in like 2015 2016 and um, and in those years feeling like, like I was in control and like, I could bend the race to my will, not all the time, but you know, in certain circumstances, um, and I like understood my strengths relative to the rest of the field and, uh, I could make things happen the way that I wanted to. Um, not that I was some kind of like racing superstar, which I definitely was not. Um, but I was always able to like not always, but almost always able to like get something out of the race, um, some kind of accomplishment. Um, and that was exciting. It was, it was, uh, something I was very proud of and, um, you know, I guess in those years it was something I really wanted to hold on to forever. Uh, and it wasn't until 2018 really that I started to think like, wow, okay. Like maybe it's time to start accepting that this won't go on forever. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah well, I think now though you're in a whole different um, arena you're in a you're in a different um, kind of race and it's a, mm-hmm. a different kind of feel but um i I think too, you'll probably be able to or go through some of those same emotions, like the, um, the disappointment, the elation, the pride, the accomplishment, like you're just going to mirror that into this next, um, this next stage.
1: Yeah. I think the challenge for me is to like, accept, um, much more minor accomplishments as big accomplishments. You know, I think the challenge is to, um, recognize that riding you know, my, my brother and I rode like 12 miles on Saturday. And it's not very far and it took a long time, uh, but it was definitely an accomplishment. And I think the challenge that I now have is, um, um, getting myself to kind of recognize like, yes, okay. It's different. Uh, it's less, but like you should still feel a rush at, like at like the end of that ride, excuse me. And, and being proud. Um, And I will say, like, it's easier for me to take pride in, like, kind of more mundane things, kind of, like, um, uh, I have, like, gotten better at walking. (laughs)
0: Um, (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome.
1: You know, I I wear a, um, right now I wear what they call a -A K-A-F-O brace, which stands for, um, uh, make sure I get this right, knee, ankle, foot orthotic. So it goes all the way from my thigh to underneath my foot. And I've had this brace since I was discharged from the hospital in October. Uh, And the way it works is there's a hinge at the knee and you can lock it. So when I first started walking, I had pretty good strength in my hip flexors. So I could lock the knee and I could swing my foot through. And there's like kind of this like trunking motion. Sure. um, It's like swing your foot through. And then because the knee is locked, your leg becomes this like peg leg and it can't buckle and it's solid. And I became like pretty proficient walking around with my crutches and my knee brace or my leg brace. Um, and then one day I realized I was cooking and like cooking with two crutches is an absolute pain in the ass. Um, so you know, one day I was like, well, maybe I can like leave the crutches in a corner of the kitchen and just kind of like brace myself around the kitchen. And, And it turned out I could do that. And then I started getting more and more adventurous where I was just walking around just very confined areas with my knee locked, uh, but without crutches. And then, you know, one day there was this moment where I had like, I was in, you know, I had like walked into the spare bedroom to go to the bathroom or something. And I realized that I had left my crutches in the other room. And, you know, we're talking about 15 feet away, maybe less. That I it was like, I was like, whoa, like I'm far away from my crushes. <laughs> uh, I, I can't just grab them. Um, and that was, you know, that, that was a moment I felt like I was, I had scared myself a little bit, but I was also very proud. Um, and yeah, so there's been, there's been moments like that when I've had kind of like physical accomplishments. Um, and, you know, lately I've, um, well, getting rid of my wheelchairs was a big one. I had for a long time, I had, a wheelchair that i would use in the house and i had another wheelchair for the world and um, i would if i wasn't wearing my leg brace i would have to use the wheelchair but i eventually worked up to the point where i no longer needed the wheelchair at all uh, and i could just walk around with my leg brace um and then even if i didn't have the brace on I, I was still able to support myself with just the crutches um but over the spring and early summer i um became confident that even if I wasn't wearing my leg brace, I could still just walk around the house. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so I was able to return the wheelchairs to the hospital and, um, you know, let some other patient use them. And, um, that was, that was a big moment for sure. And that's, it's it's not like bike racing, but it's definitely an accomplishment.
0: I think that's great. You just talked through, you know, three ish super small wins that I think that given you know where you were a year ago are fucking incredible um accomplishments i think that's really um that's really awesome i yeah. know you're yeah I, I think that's that's just awesome i well, know thanks. you have i know you have a hard stop i appreciate you know your time i um wish you all the best and um thank you for reaching back out to me
1: of course yeah no, thank you for having me on the show and. Um- Uh, Happy to return anytime you want to talk more.
0: Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, enjoy your brother. Um, Have a great night and I will, I will stay in touch. I have no words on how to actually close out the rest of this podcast. Bernie was absolutely incredible and I wish him all the best in his endeavors, his rehab, his goals, his finding purpose and discovering who he is, which in my experience never ends. It's a a constant ebbs and flows. Namaste. Thanks for listening to the Swim's Cancelled Podcast. Download share on Apple Podcasts and Podbean Namaste